Well, good morning, church. If you want to open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. I would encourage you to take an opportunity in these next uh, few weeks to continue to read through Second Peter, and this is a this is a very difficult chapter because um, it's so dark about false teaching and the uh, the fact of false teaching and the impact of false teachers, and so we'll be looking at that, and we're going to today speak about. Um, the truth about truth, as we introduce this uh, section for the second time. But uh, let's pray before we read. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace and the opportunity we have to look into your word and that you would speak to our hearts as only you can by your Holy Spirit and that you would illuminate your word open the eyes of our understanding and bring correction and conviction and encouragement, understanding. And we're just thankful for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to read a few verses um, from Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but then sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. The big picture is the fact that Peter is writing to people to make sure they understand that not everybody who speaks is going to be telling the truth. Not everybody who teaches is going to be telling the truth. There is, in fact, false teachers and false prophets in the Old Testament. There is false teachers among them, he said, and there's false teachers still today. We're going to be talking about truth and falsehood 
in an introductory sense, I guess, and not specifically going through this passage verse by verse or word by word yet, but I just wanted to introduce the, the subject and just show you some of the, the broadness of it. In Psalm 25, 4 and 5, you don't need to turn there. It says, show me your way, O Lord, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 31.5 says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Psalm 40.11 says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Psalm 51.6, Surely you desire truth. In the inner parts, you teach me wisdom in the most inmost places. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Isaiah 45, 19, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Jesus is found over and over in the gospel saying, I tell you the truth. In John 1.14, it says about Jesus that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And later on in John, Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. John records Jesus saying in chapter 8, if we hold to Jesus' teachings, he said, if you hold to my teachings, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So as we consider the area of truth, and false teachers, I want to step back and recognize two broad categories. Truth, falsehood. Order, chaos. Life, death. Right, wrong. Good, evil. Healthy, destructive. Constructive and destructive. And light and darkness. Opposites that have extremes and interact in each of our lives every single day. Someone famously said, the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of every human heart. Right and wrong, truth and error. And one major truth to understand is our corruptibility and our fallenness. That which is truth is that which corresponds to reality as God sees it, and that which is false is that which attempts to twist and bears lies about reality. And if we grasp any sense of this chapter and other chapters like the, the letter that Jude wrote about false teachers and false prophets, if you grasp any of this reality, it, it can cause you to shudder. And as we look around in our um, very difficult complicated situation we find ourselves in in 2021 and all the ideas and theories and things going on to understand some of the important things about truth and some of the important things about falsehood is critical and as I studied this week, I couldn't help thinking about our young people, and young people meaning anyone under 40. 
and just what they're encountering and what you're facing and what you're being asked to consider and told to believe. Um, so as we tackle this introduction, this subject of truth and lies and error and false teachers, there's several well-known definitions of truth. Today, I'm going to just introduce one that's called, it's famously called the, the correspondence theory. And scholars developed this over time, and we're going to spare the details, but the simple definition of truth is this, that which corresponds to reality, or that which corresponds to truth. It represents truth. And making it even more simple, a thing is what it is, and a thing is not what it is not. Simple example. This is a cup. Okay? It's not a fork. Even though it's made of plastic, which sometimes forks are made of and sometimes cups are made of, it's a cup. And cups come in many shapes and sizes, many different materials. We understand that. And it's a cup until it's smashed or burned or destroyed or in some other way the truth about this object is that it, it's, it's a cup. And we can recognize that. And <clears throat> we also know the truth, like I mentioned, that of a cup is that it can come in many shapes and sizes and built with many different substances. But when it's shaped so that it at least contains something, we call it a cup. And the effectiveness of the cup and the color of the cup and the longevity of the cup, that's for other times and places to discuss. But for our purposes today, it's a cup and it's not a tree. It's a cup and it's not a chair. And this cup represents the reality of cupness. And so this here, this is a cap. It's a cap that goes on a plastic bottle. It can be used as a cup. It can function in, in some ways as a cup, but we wouldn't call it a cup. And so we know that there's some flexibility there in our understanding. But we know that a cup is not a fork, it's not a tree, and it's not a garage. It is what it is. And it is what it is not in that sense. It would be false to say that this is a radio it would be false. That would be false. And if I was to stand here and try to attempt to teach you that this is a radio, even though it's made up of plastic, which sometimes radios contain, that would be false teaching. That would be a false representation. <clears throat> a person can be mistaken. Something can be misnamed. And that would be false. But false teaching, as Peter describes here, and as the Bible is implying and explaining with an intent to deceive, the motive to misrepresent, to destroy, to corrupt. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about false teachers. Truth rightly resents, represents reality. False teaching wrongly represents reality. The more intentional um, a person's motivations are to misrepresent reality, the more darker they are as a false teacher. And just from this passage, as I just took some of the characteristics and some of the nature and the qualities of the false teacher that are listed here, it uses words like this, 
secretly introducing destructive heresies, denying shameful ways, bringing the truth into disrepute, greed, exploitation, made up stories, condemnation, brash, arrogant, slanderous, accusatory, blaspheming, brute beasts, harm, blots and blemishes, seducers, and the like. Those are labeled in this chapter here. So a general definition of false teaching, a general definition of false teaching would be to intentionally and or secretly, deceitfully misrepresent reality, misrepresent the truth, to try to trick or to hide. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. When we lose definitions, when we lose meaning and understanding for what a thing is, what its purpose is, its unique characteristics, that which separates one thing from another thing, one self from another self, there's confusion, there's loss of identity, loss of purpose, loss of, loss of meaning is soon to follow and is a downward spiral. And we need to stop and say, we better check where that train is headed. If we're going to get on that train, we better know where it's headed. Truth matters. Definitions matter. Identity matters. Boundaries matter. Qualifications matter. Distinctions matter. Order matters. We have a God who spoke order out of chaos. And God has purpose, intention, and will. False teachers attempt to misrepresent truth. They change definitions. They remove clear identities. They tear down boundaries. They remove qualifications. And they cloud distinctions. False teachers mock order. Truth and reality are all around us. The fact that you can go to the back of the room and flip a switch and the lights come on, and the fact that you can flip the switch and the lights go off, order is all around us. It's a matter of truth. We live in an ordered and structured world. Do you realize that two plus two is still four? And it's four in Minnesota. And I checked yesterday. It's still four in California. It's four in New York. It's four in Afghanistan. Two plus two is four. False teachers. One who teaches falsehood and who refuses to be corrected. We realize that no one gets everything right every time as they teach. We learn, we grow, we become better informed. But the false teacher is not only the one who teaches what is false. They will most likely refuse to be corrected when it's pointed out. So the false teacher is not only deceptive, but he's insidious. He or she, they are insidious in their nature. And we're, like I said, we're all subject to error. Even the, the great scholar, and theologian John Calvin, he said that no theologian is more than 80% right. And some of us hope to be 5% right. And think about what that means for you and I. 
as we're desperate to make ourselves known as truth tellers and pursuers of the truth. We should all recognize that we need to continually be informed and to begin to continually to be sharpened and be clearer. We need to be humble and we need to grow in our understanding. The false teacher is not only one who teaches falsehood intentionally, deceitfully, but they go another step and they insist that they're right. And then they go a further step and they say that they are exclusively right. Be careful who you label as a false teacher. It's interesting in, if you would turn just quickly with me to the, the book of Acts chapter 18, you're going to find a man there who was not fully instructed yet in what he was teaching. And we read that in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Interesting. Here he is teaching, and it describes him as a learned man with a good knowledge, a thorough knowledge of Scripture, and he was instructing in the way of the Lord, but even he needed further instruction, further clarification. He's in a process of growing. So learning and growing are a process. So be slow to categorize someone as a false teacher. It's recorded in the book of Galatians that Peter had an encounter. This is Galatians chapter 2, that Peter had an encounter with Paul. And it was an encounter over teaching. It was an encounter over behavior. It was an encounter over truth. Look what happens. In chapter 2, verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing about the situation, historical event that did occur. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his faith because he was clearly in the wrong. This is the same Peter who said we didn't make cleverly invented stories. This is the same Peter who said, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. This is the same Peter who said, Scripture never had its origin in the will of man. This is the same Peter's writing this letter that we're studying about false teachers. Verse 12, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. That means Peter was sitting down to eat with non-Jewish people. But when the, these leaders from James arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined in his hypocrisy so that even by their hypocrisy, Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth, the truth of the gospel... It could be defined, it could be recognized, the truth could be seen there, and what was wrong could be seen there. And he corrected it. And uh, Peter 
It doesn't tell us in the passage here, but we know by the rest of Scripture that Peter was corrected and that Peter stood corrected and Peter went on. And Peter and Paul remained um, teaching together the same truths. They both received instruction, Apollos and Peter, and Peter himself received correction. It's interesting, in part of my study, I ran across nine different definitions of false teachers. And so I'm thinking, well, wow, this is a broad subject. There's the heretic who denies fundamental core doctrines of Scripture. There's the charlatan, the trickster. He's only in it for himself. The false prophet, he claims fresh revelation, something that goes beyond Scripture. The abuser just uses people for his or her own gain. The divider that brings division, doubt, debating. Majors and minors, turning brother against brother and sister against sister. The speculator, promoting conspiracies, always looking for a new twist, novel and new ideas. The tickler, giving people only what is popular, fluffy news to pad people's own personal preferences, a man-pleaser. And then the appealer, promising personal promotion. And then last of all, like Jesus said, wolves in sheep's clothing. So what accounts for false teaching could include a very broad category. But it's very serious to accuse someone of being a false teacher. This section of Scripture, first or Second Peter chapter 2, it's dark. The consequences are high. The stakes are high for false teaching. The letter from Jude, it's heavy, dealing with the same subject. It's no small thing to include somebody in the category of false teacher. And there are people far, far more qualified than I in that area to point any specific things out. The more I learn, the more I understand I'm only beginning to learn. The more I learn, the more I realize how much more there is to learn. I'm learning to recognize that learning itself is a continuous process of development, shifting through mountains of information, making adjustments, course corrections, thinking and rethinking, evaluating, questioning, discerning, remaining dependent on God and others to keep each of us from drifting into total confusion and totally off course. And I want to regularly say things like this. What I understand at this point in my journey, this is what I understand at this point in my journey. And I'm still learning and I have things to learn. And I'm sure there's things I need to be corrected on. I want to be aware of my own tendency toward arrogance, short-sightedness, my need for a correction, clarification, my own drift and dullness, my susceptibility to being hoodwinked. I'm not above getting off track, but I don't intend to be. I don't desire to be, but I can be. So we move forward together. And we move forward together circumspectly and humbly with the hair on the back of our necks standing up as we read the serious nature of this chapter. 
and the reality of false teaching and false teachers. The Bible says that God is light, that God is truth, that God is love. If we have our backs to God, we just don't see very clearly. If our backs are to the light, we see shadows. And the scripture even says we see dimly. We must turn toward the light. We must turn toward the truth. We must turn toward love. And we must turn toward God. That's the biblical word for repentance. It means basically that you would agree with God that he's right and we're wrong. We need the correction. He does not. We need to be straightened out. We're the crooked, the crooked ones in the relationship. He is not. To turn around from error and to face God, that's a biblical word, repentance. To turn around and go with God in agreement with God that he is the author of truth. We live in a very, very challenging, complicated world. But truth is not chance. Truth is not wishful thinking. Truth is not whatever you want it to be. Truth is not lost. And truth is not without definition. Truth is not a feeling. Truth is not an impression. Truth is not a sense that changes like the weather. Truth is neither an opinion that changes with circumstances or that changes with a person. Truth is that which is. Truth is the way God has determined things to be. God has determined some things to be flexible. God has determined some things to be fixed. We discover truth and we live in truth because of truth. We experience truth. We do not create it. We discover truth. We do not invent it. We cannot make it go away. Truth has nothing to do with personal preferences. Personal preferences are like the color of your favorite car. The taste of your favorite ice cream. A truth would be that ice cream is cold. No matter what flavor it is. Truth cannot be and not be. God cannot exist and not exist. God and truth are inescapably, inescapable realities from which everything else comes. Every time you go to pay your bills, and maybe for some of you young people, you don't have bills, but every time you go to pay your bills, we deal with reality. We deal with objective reality. Truth doesn't care how you feel about paying your bills because you spent your money on minnows. Fishing minnows, I'm talking about. <laughs> Truth doesn't care when it comes to pay your bills that you spent your money on donuts or a new pair of shoes. False teachers, they secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereignty of God. That's what Peter's telling us. And another way to say this is they deny the nature of reality 
They deny the nature of truth. They bring the way of truth into disrepute. They will try to change truth into opinion and change opinion into truth. They will try to make right wrong and wrong right. They will try to make good evil and evil good very subtly at first, secretly introducing challenges to truth. Truth remains unaffected by my rejection or acceptance of it. I, as a rational, reasonable being, as an ethic, ethical being, do not affect truth. I receive truth and I react to truth. I accept truth, it will change me. I reject truth, it will also change me. Truth will remain the same. Reject enough truth and people will say things like, well, listen, he's not dealing with reality. He's losing his touch with reality. Accept enough truth and people will say, she's pretty wise. She has her head on straight. She has a good grasp of reality. But your belief in something does not make it true. But if something is true, you can believe it. Your perception of something doesn't make it true. If it's true, it's true whether you believe in it or not. If it's true, it's true whether you like it or not. If it's true, it's true whether you perceive it to be true or not. Truth is always true when it is correctly related to reality and describing reality. Man's truth is true until like in medicine or science, it's proved differently. Did you know, and I mean, some of you are aware of this, it's a pretty simple thing. Years ago in the 1800s, they used to use leeches to help um, people who had bad humors in their blood. So leeches take the blood out. It's called bloodletting. And if the leeches didn't work effectively, they would just slice one of your arteries or veins. And that was the common understanding of the day to let the bad humors out of the blood. We didn't even understand bacteria in the beginning when we used to do surgery. Just think how much we've learned. But what we did was we discovered what was true in medicine. We discovered what was true in mathematics. We discovered what was true in aerodynamics and physics and the second law of therm thermodynamics. We, we learn what is true. We're creating none of it. But we can help build an airplane because of the laws of aerodynamics. We can do our mechanics and we can do our medicine because we live in an ordered world. Because there is truth. A thing is what it is. It is not what it is not. And when it changes and it becomes something else, then the truth of that particular thing is that it can change. This pulpit, it's made of wood. There's a little tiny bit of plastic. But you know what? At one time, this was in the woods and was probably called a tree. It was definitely called a tree because it's wood. The substance and the contents are still the same. The wood is the same, but now the wood is a pulpit and we understand that. So we would teach our children if they see the wood, 
when we're first teaching them about wood and they see the pulpit and say, oh, daddy, it's wood. Yes, it's wood, but it's a pulpit. This is the reality which it represents. That which it represents. A thing is what it is. Truth is not random. Truth represents reality, the way things are. And truth is continually being discovered by man who does not create truth, but recognizes, discovers truth. Truth, reality. And this is profound for me. I grew up in a world where I was taught uh, lots of fantasy, and I couldn't separate in my young mind the difference between truth and reality in fantasy. I believed in the fairy godmother, and I believed hard enough that if I believed hard enough, she would come, and I would have money under my pillow in the morning when I woke up. I was told to believe hard enough that if I would be a good boy, the little fat man would come in a red suit at Christmas time and deliver me presents. But I couldn't separate the reality out from the fantasy. But now I'm realizing that truth is not something that passes in or out of existence based on my pleasure or my discretion or my understanding. Truth is. Truth is not something that changes to fit my life, my views, my values, my whims, my opinions, my fancy, or my wishes. God who speaks truth. God who creates reality. His existence is not contingent on my believing in him. His existence is not contingent on my believing in him. No more than I do away with him by declaring I do not believe in him. That's what fairy tales are. Reality is not in the category of fairy tales. Truth is not a myth. You and I can no more create truth or dismiss it than we can create or dismiss God. We must be careful we do not drink the Kool-Aid of relativity. There's a statement out there. The truth is when people say, I don't believe in the existence of God. I don't believe the Bible is true. The truth is that that person's disbelief. And again, I'm saying the same thing in a different way. That person's disbelief has no effect on God. That person's disbelief has no effect on the reality of scripture. That person's disbelief does not diminish God or the Bible in any way, shape or form, but it does diminish them. If you reject truth, it has an effect. If you accept truth, it has an effect because that's what truth is. It's reality. The truth is that everything we can see, everything that is made up of material, this is material, you, our bodies are material, it's all subject to the laws of science, subject to decay, deterioration, to spoil, to wreck, and ruin, including our physical bodies. How's that for encouragement from your pastor on a Sunday morning? <laughs> to tell the truth is to tell it like it is, not like how I, 
I wish it ought to be or how I think it ought to be or even how I want it to be. The truth is how it is. The truth is that which corresponds to reality. It's interesting, maybe some of you um, who are a little bit more mature, you would recognize the name F. Lee Bailey. Okay? He was a famous lawyer, skilled, brilliant man. He was uh, giving a class one time on the examples of how difficult it is to put together reliable witnesses, even when those witnesses are eyewitnesses. And so during one of his demonstrations, his lectures, he had this set up beforehand that somebody from the crowd would get up and just run toward him and be waving their arms, yelling at him. And then they would quickly leave as quick as they appeared. And then he picked five people randomly and he interviewed them. And he said, could you tell me what just took place? And five out of five said, a man jumped up and rushed toward you and struck you. Eyewitnesses sitting in the room. And he was just trying to give that example because no one struck him. He was just trying to give an example of how difficult it is to have a reliable eyewitnesses. Humans have flaws. We make mistakes. We're deceitful. We're corrupted. We have viruses. We're confused. We have misunderstandings, shortfallings. But truth isn't just perception. Truth is what is. Truth is not opinion. Truth is facts. The Bible says clearly that God cannot lie. And I'm trying to step back and look at truth from the farthest distance. That my individual personal belief about God's existence or his lack of existence cannot create or discreate him. If it could, you're dealing with something other than truth. If you find that two plus two is not four, and that's true, then we believe something wrongly. But until that time, this is the truth. Two plus two is four. We do not have a hold on truth. Truth has a hold on us. Truth is not affected by us. We're affected by truth. The acceptance or the rejection of it. We must conform to truth. Truth will not conform to us. Truth will shape us. We do not shape it. We cannot truth, twist truth, but truth can straighten us. We're talking about truth, not preferences. Truth, not impressions. Truth, not feelings. Truth, not likes and dislikes. It's interesting there's fascinating stories out there. There's a story about a man named Harry S. Truman. And I'm not talking about the president. I'm talking about a man who lived at the foot of Mount St. Helens. And they warned him again and again and again, you know what, we need to evacuate. And everybody else evacuated. Harry S. Truman remained because he didn't believe that there was going to be a, vulca a volcano. His belief had no effect on the mountain. His belief had no effect on the volcano. He was completely buried. The truth is, God has created truth and God cannot lie. The truth is, 
man discovers about what God has said and what God has created, man often lies, man is often incorrect, man is limited, man is susceptible to all kinds of effects on his thinking and his understanding and his view of reality. In the blink of an eye, you and I can lose touch with reality, right? You ever forgot something? Just think if when you remembered that reality wasn't the same anymore. We're not talking about that. We're talking about truth. That is the substance and the construct of what God has created and what God has decided. We live in a very ordered universe, a very ordered world by a God who is orderly. God's the creator of truth. He determines truth. He communicates truth. And all truth is God's truth wherever you find it anywhere in the world. If it's truth, nobody developed it. I mean, you could develop it, but nobody created it. They can work with it. They can react to it. But all truth is God's truth. If something is true, it's true because God has made it that way. God cannot lie. So as we move forward and we think about what Peter wants to help his readers understand, and we reread, and I would encourage you that we don't take Scripture serious enough. That we could look back and read again. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there would be false teachers among you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. It's not easy to tell the truth. It's not, not easy not to lie. But it's imperative that we move in that direction. Being truth speakers, truth livers. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. The condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Earnestly serious. People's lives are at stake when it comes to truth and falsehood. Truth cannot be twisted or changed or manipulated to fit individual agendas. Truth is not subject to my interpretation, my belief, my understanding of it. Truth is not a product of my mind. My mind is reasonable because God designed it that way, and so is your mind. The human mind is reasonable to certain extents and degrees. We can learn, and learning is a process. But truth is not a product of my mind as much as truth exists outside and beyond my mind, and my mind experiences truth and recognizes truth because God made it that way during the few years it functions reasonably well. 
and it can comprehend certain degrees of truth, and we can learn, but we cannot create truth by believing that we can create truth. It's interesting. There were some examples I read this week of uh, trying to help understand the reality of truth. And, you know, we, we might put a gate up in our driveway when our kids are learning to ride their tricycle or their two-wheel bike. And we put a gate up because just on the other side of the driveway, there's a highway. And a car traveling by 65 miles an hour, the truth of it, that car doesn't care about your child. The car will not recognize your child. So we put a gate up because of truth. And we're thankful for that. We're grateful for that. In some areas of our lives, we're trying to strip down every protection that God has put up. We're trying to twist reality and twist truth. As much as you want a two by four that is made sturdy enough to help build a bridge and build a wall, if you swing that two by four at another human being, it does not instantly because of, become a feather. So we need to deal with reality and we need to continue to ask ourselves, God, we need your help. We need to look at your word and we need to say, Lord, is this our guide for truth and practice and for living and understanding? Or is this just like another newspaper or an article or someone else trying to manipulate our lives? You're going to have to wrestle with Scripture. You're going to ask yourself and, and seek the Lord, what it is I believe. And then ask yourself if your life is lining up with reality on a day-to-day -day basis as it filters down into your relationships, into our relationships. And if our relationships are not governed by truth, there's a terrifying statement, and I'll close with this, in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. It said, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. It's a terrifying place to be. You throw off all restraint, all regulation, all rule, all truth. It leads to dark, dark places. So I'd encourage you to read through Peter again and to continue to be familiar and familiarizing self with God's truth. And let's try to practice that in our lives. Father, we're grateful and thankful for your word. We're thankful that um, even though we cannot create truth, you've created truth and you've invited us to trust you. You've invited us even to take it as far as to trust your word and to see the truth of it. Lord, give us understanding. Give us insight, discernment, and wisdom. Help us, Lord God, as we process information, as we encounter one another in our relationships.
Give us wisdom, God, and protect us, Father, from false teaching and lies. Help us to be humble and correctable. Help us to submit ourselves to you and to one another. Help us to move forward instead of backward. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So we are finished um, 